We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Wednesday, April the 1st, 2020. On today's show, I talk South Carolina football and pose a question to you guys, something I talked about on social media. Which Gamecocks would have shined the most during the Garnet and Black spring game? The spring game would have been this Saturday. I'll just kind of give my thoughts, my hypothetical thoughts on spring football, who I think was poised to have a stellar spring and translate that into fall as we creep closer and closer to kickoff in college football. Also, spring sport athletes have been given an additional year of eligibility by the NCAA. I'll talk about just how does that impact South Carolina, specifically South Carolina baseball, and also the NCAA's decision to not give another year to fall sports, mainly South Carolina basketball. Also, your listener questions, and we have a fantastic conversation with TJ Reeves, of the three day three dog Thursday podcast, TJ, a friend of the show, we'll talk how he's spending his quarantine, how he's social distancing. Also, we will relive and talk about our memories of the 2017 South Carolina basketball team that advanced all the way to the final four. We'll talk about that run much, much more also on a packed show. So be sure to kick your feet up, sit back, enjoy as we dive into episode 235 of the Spurs Up Show. Let's get it. Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I miss you guys. Miss talking to you guys. It feels like it has been forever. We're now going to one podcast a week. May increase it to two per week. I'm not sure, but right now I think one sounds about right, feels about right as we're all practicing our social distancing. We're all sitting in quarantine. We all see what's going on around us, and I don't want to talk about it too, too much, obviously, because I know... You guys have all seen it. You're all following on social media. You're all following the news, watching it, what's going on with coronavirus, COVID-19, all that stuff. So we're all living through this right now, getting through it without sports, without, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine. It's a shame we're missing out on because this week would have been, like I mentioned in the intro, Saturday, Garnet and Black spring game. Next week, the Masters. We'd be right in the middle of SEC baseball, March Madness, MLB would be going on. Let's all take a deep breath. Just collect ourselves. Let's not lose it. Let's not freak out. So anyways, I hope quarantining, I hope social distancing is going well for you. I hope everyone that you know, yourself, obviously, you're safe, you're healthy, 
Be sure to stay inside if you can. Take care of yourself and stay healthy. When I want to talk some Gamecocks, obviously there is a lot to talk about and a lot of things to discuss. Um, Again, I'm going to be coming to you guys more consistently. I know these last couple weeks have obviously been chaotic. They've been – not what any of us were hoping for. Obviously, we had the the throwback interviews two weeks ago, and then last week we had the one show on Monday, and I really didn't know what to throw up on Thursday, so I didn't throw anything, didn't put anything out. But at minimum, you're going to be getting one show per week on Wednesdays with a guest interview, maybe going back to two shows per week if I can swing it, if we just simply have enough content to talk about. But either way, the Spurs Up show is not going anywhere. The show must go on. Let's talk some Gamecocks football to start off this show, and a question that I posed on social media that I want to sort of to expand on on this podcast, and that is, the question was, obviously this Saturday would have been the Garnet and Black spring game. What did we get, like five or six practices in before everything got shut down? Which Gamecock would have shined the most or had the best game during the Garnet and Black spring game? Who would have stood out? And the choices that I put were Luke Doty, Marshawn Lloyd, Mike Wyman, and other. Obviously, the majority of you going with Marshawn Lloyd, but he is not my number one guy. Obviously, he's a guy that's very much on my radar, someone I've talked about a lot. But the number one guy that I want to talk about that I think would have made the biggest splash, if you will, or left the most lasting impression on South Carolina fans after the Garnet Black Spring game, it's not a player, guys. It's not a player. It's Gamecocks offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. I think with his offense, what he's bringing to the table, listen – We're all on the edge of our seats wanting to see, well, how is this offense going to look different? We've seen the last couple years. You can have all the skill players. You can have all the talent you want. You can have the quarterback. If you don't have the right offensive scheme, you're going to run into problems. Everybody's wondering, is our offense going to look just like Georgia? Are we going to be under center every play? Are we going to run the ball every play? What's the identity of this offense going to be? I think in the Garnet and Black spring game, you would have certainly gotten the first opportunity to see that. Now, I expect this offense, honestly, guys, to be a mix of like a West Coast, under center. I think it's going to be a very balanced offense, very 50-50. If I had to guess, even probably 60-40 towards the run. But I think South Carolina fans, and that's probably the part, listen, I'm not a big guy in spring games where I, you know, draw conclusions, if you will, right? That's really just not my game, to draw conclusions from the spring game and say, oh, because this guy balled out, he's going to do this in the fall. You know, I I really believe, and somebody I think said this on social media, and I 100% agree, that, you know, a lot of times the spring game standouts are guys that really don't play or have an impact in the fall or in the games. They just simply don't play. For whatever reason, there's a lot of guys that happens with they don't play. I think last year, whose was it? Jamel Cook. Jamel Cook was the guy in last year's spring game absolutely balled out would look great everybody's like who is that safety he's gonna be our next dude he's the dude wasn't even on the two deep to open up fall camp so if that tells you anything but I think you know everybody loves to overanalyze everything everybody loves to deep dive into stuff that they have no business deep diving into I think that would have been probably the most talked about thing forget Doty forget Lloyd forget Pickens forget Ryan forget all of them I think Mike Bobo, his offense, the identity, how much South Carolina's under center, how much they're running the football, the different formations, the different schematical, um, you know, how South Carolina looks scheme-wise. I, I think that's something that Gamecock fans would have certainly left the Garnet and Black spring game talking about. Now, moving on the player side of things, certainly. Luke Doty, Marshawn Lloyd, I think especially Marshawn Lloyd. It's a shame. I was so – looking forward to seeing what Marshawn Lloyd was going to do. You know, we had seen the videos of him from from spring ball and 
you know, in the drills and stuff like that. But actually seeing him in a game, going up against the defensive line, running behind his offensive line, you know, again, it's the spring game. You take it with a grain of salt. But I think Marshawn Lloyd could have been a guy that certainly, certainly would have shined, certainly would have had a good game. And I think the height, you know, the height meter for Marshawn Lloyd, if you guys haven't noticed, the height meter for Marshawn Lloyd is already pretty much through the damn roof. It, it is, it is, um, it's up there. You know, I, I try to compare it to another player at South Carolina. Maybe, maybe Sidney Rice is the last guy that I really felt like had this kind of hype going into a fall. You know, I remember his, his spring game, I think it was in 05, the 05 spring game. He had a really good spring game, and you thought to yourself, man, this is a guy that, you know, I really think could have a breakout year, could be the next big-time player at South Carolina. And we all know how Sidney Rice's career unfolded. Marshawn Lloyd is a similar guy in that sense to where, like, the height meter is just through the roof for him. I think he would have put on a show for Gamecock fans. I think Gamecock fans, it would have been great to see a sneak peek into his game, what he's going to provide this fall. Because, again, I certainly expect him still to be the number one running back, him and Kevin Harris, to be that one-two punch. But I think Marshawn Lloyd certainly would have left a lasting impression with South Carolina fans. Luke Doty as well. You know, listen, taking nothing away from Ryan Holinsky, because I expect Ryan Holinsky would have played very well in this game. Probably wouldn't have played a lot, though, to be honest, because your starters don't normally play a ton in the spring game. Certainly, certainly Luke Doty would have had fans buzzing. Listen, the backup quarterback's the most popular guy on campus, no matter what. doesn't matter if you have a Heisman Trophy-winning starting quarterback. Your backup QB is always the most popular man on campus. I think Luke Doty for sure would have had fans buzzing after the spring game. You know, seeing him in his dual threat, being able to run, being able to throw, making throws on the run, I'm sure we would have seen some of that. Um, I know that fans would have been buzzing about Luke Doty. The one defensive guy that I do want to mention that I think would have shined, and I'm really excited to see this fall as well, but I think, you know, somebody I was really excited to see in the spring game and someone, again, I'm excited to see in the fall, and I think fans would have been talking about, is Zach Pickens. I think the jump from year one to year two for Zach Pickens is going to be so noticeable for Gamecock fans. I think it's going to be so noticeable that the jump that Zach Pickens has, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, It's crazy just how much guys develop, how much stronger they get, bigger they get, faster they get it from year one to year two in college football. It really is. Uh, and it's really impressive. I think Zach Pickens is going to be one of those guys. You know, he's obviously got to take over. You lose uh, DJ Wanham. You lose Javon Kinlaw in the middle. Zach Pickens has got to be that guy to fill that role. And I think you were going to start to see in the Garnet and Black spring game in the fall in general, him start to sort of take over that role and be that guy that South Carolina needs. And I think you're going to see that in the fall as well. So, it's a shame. It's unfortunate. I know we're all looking forward to being at Williams-Brice Stadium on Saturday. We'll have to, again, live through hypotheticals and just wonder what if, what would have happened. Um, but I think that's a pretty good indicator, honestly, on how the spring game would have went and what South Carolina fans um, would have been talking about. Some other good answers I saw. You know, I had Mike Wyman on the list. I saw Rico Powers as well. I think he'll be a playmaker for South Carolina or somebody that needs to step up step up for the South Carolina team in the fall. I saw Tonka Hemingway. I think that's a really good one as well. He's a guy that's not going to talk about a lot that could be a big interior presence for South Carolina. So a lot of good answers. Um, there, I know there were a lot of guys, again, we were all looking forward to seeing this spring, and it's unfortunate we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get that opportunity. But uh, it, it almost makes me even more anxious now for the fall to get here. Um, I do want to move into this really quickly. Getting off of football, let's talk about the NCAA's decision 
Um, they came down, made the decision. They're going to give spring sport athletes an additional year of eligibility. Huge news. Kudos to the NCAA for getting this decision right. Um, a lot of you are asking, what about the winter sports? And, and I want to start there um, because I put this on social media. and I want to reiterate it on the podcast. You know, not often do we do we credit the NCAA for doing anything because most of the time they're screwing things up. Let's just be completely honest. Most of the times they are screwing things up. That's just pretty much, you know, what the NCAA does. Um, in this case, though, I actually think the NCAA got the decision right, and I'll tell you why. You know, and I'll say this to start out, too, is that, hey, if they wanted to let the seniors come back from basketball, and heck, even football, which really wouldn't have made any sense, but if you wanted to let the basketball seniors come back, I would have had absolutely no problem with that. Would have had no problem with that whatsoever. I'd have loved nothing more than to see another year of Mike Kotsar. But the reason why I think it's the right decision, to be honest with you, is because of this. You know, most of these guys, most of the seniors in college basketball, I'd say probably 90%, maybe more, had one to two games max left in their career. I mean, 90, 95% of the teams were not making a run to the Final Four. We're not even making a run to the Sweet 16 or anything like that. So, you, you know, there's obviously, you know, with the spring sports, even it's the right decision, but there are going to be complications with it. And I'm going to talk about how to impact, how it impacts South Carolina baseball in just a second, but there are going to be um, complications. I mean, there simply are expanding rosters, how much money you're giving students with, you know, scholarships, stuff like that. So with the complications you would have faced in basketball, you already played your entire season. You were in conference tournaments. Again, most of these kids are getting one to two games max added on to their career. Um, I, I don't think it makes sense to give them all an, give them all another whole year of eligibility. Now, who do I hate it for most? The South Carolina women's basketball team who really got robbed um, at a chance to win a national title. That's obviously what stings the most. But I do think the NCAA got the decision right. Now, as far as the spring sport athletes are concerned, and it's not just baseball. Obviously, you think of golf. You think of softball. Um, there are plenty more other sports, which I can't think of off the top of my head, but I'm going to stick mainly with baseball. How does this impact the decision with South Carolina baseball? Well, you take a look for South Carolina and I think it's going to impact them greatly. I, I think it's going to be a great thing for them. Obviously you get George Khalil back. Well, obviously everybody knows, listen to the show. I'm a big George Khalil fan. Um, you know, you have to think to yourself that, you know, what really factors into this is how does the MLB draft affect South Carolina baseball? And this is something I'm going to expand on in probably a later show. We're going to just talk about specifically the draft and who's eligible and who we think might go and who's going to come back. Because obviously the MLB draft has been affected by this as well. There's only going to be five rounds in the MLB draft. Um, and really, I don't think there's more than two, maybe three guys on South Carolina's team that even should consider leaving for the draft or that will probably even be picked. Um, but I, I think this is almost going to give you the opportunity to have a redo at the 2020 season. You know, if you're a South Carolina fan, um, you know, if you're a South Carolina baseball fan, you're going to basically bring back the same exact team. Um, and, and it's going to give every single team that opportunity. I think it was a great decision by the NCAA though. You know, you think about, um, you know, you were only what 15 games through your season. So to give those guys their year back, I think was a great decision by the NCAA. And again, we're not often saying the NCAA is making great decisions. Most of the time, they're screwing things up. They're making, they're making asses out of themselves. So for them to do this, for them to give that year back to the spring sport athletes, I think 
kudos to the NCAA. Great decision by those guys to do that. Um, all right, let's get into your listener questions. Guys, I will say this. I appreciate your listener questions so much. As you obviously know, we're all scrambling for sports, for content. Your listener questions are going to be a big part of this podcast. Not that they weren't before, but they're going to be a major part of this podcast moving forward. So I really, really do appreciate all the listener questions you guys leave. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, all right, let's dive into this. Um, let's see. Michael underscore Dunlap one. Do you think Mike can get drafted? I don't think Mike is a draft guy. You know, Mike comes off to me as a free agent signing a guy in the G League or somebody playing overseas. I think that's kind of his, you know, obviously he's a foreign guy. He's from overseas. I could see him being one of those guys playing in Lithuania or playing in Spain or playing wherever overseas. But I certainly think professional basketball is in Mike Kotar's future, no doubt. Um, Richarda underscore 05. Is Carolina golf underrated? I think it is. Certainly. Those dudes are nasty. Carolina golf is nasty for sure. Put some respect on Carolina golf. Madison.r.benson. What would you do if Carolina won the natty in football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball at the same time in the same year? I would probably cry. I, no, I, I wouldn't probably. I would definitely cry 100%. The better question to what you just asked is like, what would you give for that to happen? <laughs> like, like, what would you give up? Like, I, I'm pretty sure I would like cut off a finger. No doubt. No question. Or a toe. Something. No question I would do something like that. So, um, what would I do? I mean, I would just, yeah, I, I would cry tears of joy probably every single day. No doubt. Um, um, Willie equals 28. Does this mean winter sports won't get an extra year? That is exactly what it means. Unfortunately, they're not going to get an extra year. Um, Gamecocks.country, biggest disappointment from the 2018 and 2019 class and your top five South Carolina quarterbacks of all time. From those recruiting classes, you know, it's tough to look back. I'll have to look and see um, who specifically was in those classes. We'll see here. My top five South Carolina quarterbacks, though, if you want me to just rattle them off, no order. You got to go Connor Shaw's the undisputed number one. I think Steven Garcia's in the top five, won the SEC East. I think Steve Tannehill's in the top five, won the first ever bowl game. Um, I think I think Jake Bentley is probably top five as well. You know, just statistically what he did. I know his career was much maligned. I think he's in there. And who else am I forgetting? Um, I think Tommy Suggs is in there as well, winning the 1969 ACC title. You know, obviously you could argue Todd Ellis. But the thing with Todd Ellis, man, is the, the amount of interceptions he threw. I mean, you can't overlook that. You could argue Phil Petty. You could argue, argue Anthony Wright. Um, you could argue Mike Hold. I think Mike Hold could certainly be in the top five. But, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Let's see. As far as the 19 recruiting class, I don't know that I have, like, a ton of disappointments. Here we go. Here's the 18 class. Um, Jonathan Gibson was obviously a disappointment. You know, I'll tell you this, honestly. You're talking about who's the biggest disappointment? Probably to this point, probably Hank Manos. I mean, Hank Manos was a guy that, you know, Under Armour All-American, we're expecting him to be, like, this dude, this, this stud. Bro, he has looked overwhelmed in his um in his limited opportunities to play that dude has been overwhelmed 
So Hank Manos in the 2018 class at this point for sure. And then 2019, I mean, the sample size really isn't there. Yeah, I mean, the sample size isn't there really to say. I mean, there's nobody looking at this list that you would say is a disappointment, quote-unquote. I mean, not getting Jaquez Sorrells on campus, that was disappointing for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, Johnny Dixon played as a freshman. I mean, yeah, so I, I, I would just say not getting Jaquez, Jaquez Sorrells on campus was a disappointment. But other than that, I, I don't think there's enough of a sample size to really call anybody like a bust or a disappointment or anything like that. Um, Kevin underscore Becker. With the extra year of eligibility, doesn't that screw up the scholarship count? So I think they're going to have to make an exception. Obviously, the rosters are going to be all out of funk for 2021, and I know that's something they're working on right now. But, yes, they're, they're going to have to make some sort of exception because there are certainly complications, like I said, um, you know, with, with having these guys come back. There are certainly going to be some hurdles they've got to overcome. So, no doubt, I think they're going to have to do something in that regard, but they're going to make it happen is what it sounds like. Um, Ian Jenkins, 24. What's up, Ian? Where do you see Gamecock baseball next year? You know, I see them probably similar to what I was saying this year about them. You know, I, I think obviously th th making the postseason is, is minimum expectation. We all know that. I don't even have to say that. But I think probably a 36-37 win club, 16-14 um, and 14 in the SEC. That's going to be kind of my expectations, what, I, what I'm expecting this team. And obviously that, that could change based on who stays, who leaves. You know, if you, if you lose Carmen Majinski and Thomas Farr, well, obviously your expectations have got to be sort of tamper – or, uh, or, or changed a little bit, um, maybe, as far as win totals are concerned. But, you know, 35, 36, 37 win teams, 16 and 14, 15 and 15 in the SEC, that feels about right for South Carolina baseball uh, right now for sure. So, uh, let's see. Andrew underscore the underscore textbook. If football season is canceled, do you fire Muschamp or let him coach in 2021? First off, let's speak into an existence. There will be a college football season in 2021. Okay. Um, also. If it's canceled, which it's not going to be, do you fire Muschamp or let him cut? You know, you, you have to bring him back. You, you can't fire him when there's no season. I mean, I, listen, I, I, I want a new coach. I don't dislike the guy personally. Do I think we need a new football coach? Yes, but you can't fire the guy when there's no season. That makes absolutely no sense. So, no, you got to bring him back. Um, Thomas underscore J underscore Brooks, maybe a bit early, but is men's basketball and an NCAA tournament team next year? You know, it's funny. We were just talking about this with T.J. Reeves. If you keep listening on through the show, I, I think certainly I, – I think this is an NCAA tournament or bust type of year for South Carolina basketball. I think it has to be. When you look at who you're returning, you know, you're only going to lose Mike Coatsar. You get Seventh Woods eligible, you know, him transferring from North Carolina. He's going to be eligible this year. Um, you know, you bring back everybody. Kuznar, Bolden, Lawson's probably not going to the draft. Uh, T.J. Moss, Trey Hannibal's going to be back. You know, Keyshawn Bryant – Wilden Zlevec, Jalen McCreary, Alonzo Frank, you have everyone back, basically. There's no excuse not to make the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. There's just absolutely none. So, I think that this is a tournament team, and if it's not, maybe there needs to be a shakeup. Maybe there needs to be a shakeup in regards to coaching. I know nobody likes to hear that, but at some point, what are the expectations, right? I've talked about that before. What are the expectations? I think NCAA tournament needs to be the expectation going into this next season because you have the team for it. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for listener questions. Um, appreciate all the listener questions, guys. And, again, I appreciate you guys tuning in sincerely. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. Got a fantastic interview coming up 
TJ Reeves of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Had him on the show before. He runs Three Dog Thursday. It's a gambling podcast where they talk a lot of different sports, but mainly college basketball, especially this time of the year, focusing on college basketball. Obviously, he is dealing just like we all are with no sports, with sports being taken away, with March Madness being taken away, especially. But really excited to bring him on because we're able to talk sports, talk South Carolina basketball specifically, and relive that 2017 Final Four run, which I know we've all been reflecting on over the last couple of weeks. It's always fun to talk about what's in Darius Thornwell, P.J. Dozier, Dwayne Notice, Chris Silva, Coates are, what those boys did, the run they made, um, just phenomenal stuff. So, again, T.J. Reeves of Three Dog Thursday. Be sure to enjoy this interview with T.J. Reeves of the Three Dog Thursday podcast. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show once again, good friend of the show. He's been on before. You know him, TJ Reeves of Three Dog Thursday podcast. You guys are familiar with before. TJ talks gambling, specifically mostly college basketball gambling. Very excited to have him back on the podcast. TJ, appreciate you taking the time, my man. Hey, we are in a very odd, unprecedented time with no games. And this, this week that we're taping this is supposed to be the best heaven if you're a college basketball fan of the Final Four where the, the madness and the mayhem of March has dwindled from 68 teams down to the last four teams that have a chance to win a national championship. So totally understand the gravity and the seriousness of what's going on, but at the same time, we're, we're robbed in 2020 of having any of this. So all we have, Chris, is our memories and going back on, on YouTube and reliving games through March Madness On Demand or on the, on the replays on CBS of the games. So I'm happy to come on with you and somehow, some way, I think we're going to make it back to a, just a few years ago and Glendale, Arizona and, and somebody South Carolina Gamecocks making their way to the final four. Yeah, absolutely. No, reflecting on that, the run in 2017, definitely uh, really excited to talk about that. I'll ask you first, obviously, like you mentioned, the gravity <laughs> of the situation, it's okay to miss sports, obviously, but uh, I'll ask you kind of fun, you know, obviously you've been at home. We talked a little bit off air. You have the kids, the family, everything. You're taking care of that. <laughs> what's been uh, what's been filling TJ Reeves' time over the last few weeks? Have you been watching some Netflix, some movies? I mean, I know everybody's kind yes. of home their own ways. Of All right. So I don't know if you've, if you are big into HBO, but I'm big into HBO and I've been uh -huh. catching up on some different series and I was never in on succession, which is the adult drama mm -hmm. where essentially the billionaire media tycoon who's played by a late seventies actor named Brian Cox. You'll know him from, from various roles, including in the Jason Bourne movies. Uh, the first couple of them. Anyway, he's the billionaire, uh, ogre, over-the-top media tycoon, and his dysfunctional children below him are the heirs to the empire. And so at the beginning, what sets it into motion is he has an aneurysm, so they think, and he's going to be either incapacitated or dead, and they start fighting over who's going to be in, in a somewhat serious but mostly uh, comedic one-liners kind of way who's going to be in charge and how dysfunctional this all is. So I am now one season into the two seasons. They're 10 episodes each. So my recommend for Chris and the Spurs Up audience and podcast here uh, is Succession. I have found that on HBO and it's it's worth passing some time. There are about 48 to 50 minute episodes that are on there. So that's what I found. Now, do you have a recommend for me 
right now because we got all kinds of time. We got no games. Do you yeah, have a recommend for I, me? Well, I, you know, Ozarks is a great show. They just dropped a new okay. season on Netflix. I'll tell you this, though, man. I mean, I've been watching a ton of random movies. Um, I've been playing a lot of video games, though. I'll be honest with you. I went and, ca- I went and caved and, uh, you know, I bought a PlayStation 4. You know, obviously with baseball getting taken away from us, I went and bought MLB The Show, and we've been playing like a virtual South Carolina. I mean, this is literally teaching you how much time I have to kill. I went through – I made – so basically in this game you can make custom teams or whatever. I had a, another friend of mine who made the rosters – and I went through and made a custom franchise, 30 college teams, one of them being South Carolina, and we're about to start our season. Actually, tonight, the night we're recording this, but we're about to start our season, going to play a full co- – No, wait, you're going to play season. a full – you're going to play a full season every game, like 60, 70 games of a regular season every game? Every game. I mean, what else do we have wow. to do? That's the way I look at it. I understand. I mean, and people – so we're streaming it on Twitch. And so people, they they enjoy <laughs> tuning in because there's literally nothing else to watch. I mean, you laugh at that, but hey, I, I've got other I, friends. I do not streaming. begrudge this. You're on to something because you're in NASCAR country. I'm in Florida, NASCAR country. Mm-hmm. It's ingrained in you. And when Fox stumbled onto this e-racing thing where they've got the, the drivers, the current drivers – Earnhardt Jr., the announcers and fans playing against each other on the track, racing against each other. And I don't know if you saw this, but they came out with the ratings uh, today that Sunday, their latest race broadcast, their second one, had 1.3 million people watching. Yeah. So obviously there is an appetite because everybody's got the same issue, which which is we want live sports. So I want to know when your South Carolina huge baseball simulation series against whoever Georgia, you know LSU or whoever, whenever that's on, I, I may have to tune that in. We got to see if we can get you yeah, a we're, network we're gonna, TV deal. Is what yeah, I'm we're, we're gonna we're gonna do every night at seven. I think I was gonna say though, I've seen your I think that your buddies uh, sports gambling podcast network. I've seen them yes. on Twitter. They're yes. actually running because you can do the same thing on NBA 2K. You can put college teams in the game. You can customize the uh, the franchises, the team. Right. I've seen them running actually simulations with lines and totals on the game. Now that's to a yes, new, that's to that a is, whole new level. That, that's to a whole <laughs> new level. So, so I have them as part of the Three Dog Thursday podcast, and we've been on the last couple of weeks talking this, and it's appropriately named the DGen Mad- Madness for Degenerates, <laughs> the DGen right. Madness <laughs> tournament that they have ongoing. And you're right, the fact that they got my bookie. Uh, to, to put out lines and even live wagering during the game on what's going to happen. They've stumbled onto something. So they're, they're doing that every uh, Thursday and Friday, I believe. They're rolling out four new games, and they're going to do this for all of April. So, yes, we'll be talking about it on Three Dog Thursday, and the Sports Gambling Podcast guys have it with DGen Madness for Degenerates. Um, and they've, they've had two or three of these games where it's been a buzzer beater and, and all it is is a computer simulation. So they're not physically mm. uh, in control of anything. They have no idea of the outcome and they're sitting and doing live commentary while the game goes on and it takes about 45 minutes for the game to play. Uh, but it's hilarious. And so they've got live wagering going through my bookie during the game where you can wager on like the second half line of this fictitious game <laughs> that they have put up. So this is, this is what we've gotten to, so I don't begrudge you at all um, at this point. I do have the old 
uh, the second generation PlayStation two. I have not yet plugged that in and shown it to my 11 and a half year olds and say, Hey, this is what video game they're not big into video games very much. So, but I, I could show that to them. Uh, if need be, if we get to that entertainment. So you're saying Ozarks now, now real quick, before we get to the Gamecocks final four memories and that kind of thing, give me a movie or two that you have watched. And, and, and I'm taking these to be like older movies, right? Like stuff in the, in the nineties or the earlier two thousands, right? Or what have you watched? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, Bull Durham's a great baseball movie. I'm a Boom. baseball guy. Yep. That, that's a classic. Um, I've watched Absolutely. a couple of the Star Wars films. If you have Disney Plus or if you just have them in general, going back and watching the Star Wars films, I, I like those. Uh, um, what's another one? No, that, so that's, the twins, the twins uh, binge watched The Mandalorian, the new, the new series that yeah, was that's exclusive not bad. Yeah, for that's, Disney That's pretty Plus. solid. Baby Yoda is a good so one. They, no they loved that with the whole Baby Yoda thing and all of that. But, yeah, so we just we got to find some different things. If you have not discovered, and for your audience, if you didn't watch it when it was on, this again, if you live in the South, you can identify with a lot of this. The Timothy Oliphant series, Justified, the mm-hmm. FX series, where he was playing a U.S. Marshal uh, by the name of Raylan Givens. And Raylan Givens is from Kentucky, from Harlan County, Kentucky, fictitious character, but real county. And the inner workings of his former life, his family, his former girlfriends, his former friends, and how he gets tied in to everything. And, and uh, it is a fantastic show. Now, that's, that's about 12 to 14 episodes a season, probably something like that. And they win about five seasons. But Justified, well worth the TJ recommend. Again, you may have to have FX the channel and they're on demand to get it. You might be able to get it through any, any um, streaming service. If you pay for it, like Hulu, YouTube, or one of those, but that's a, that's another recommend to get into that because he is tremendous as that character. And that, that show has one twist, one turn after another uh, with him, his fellow marshals, uh, you know, he's constantly without ruining it. He's constantly conflicted about do I arrest or maybe kill these these ex you know these former friends of mine who have now turned into degenerates? Do I have to arrest or kill a family member or two because it comes to it? It's just crazy. So justified, justified from FX. The series ran earlier in this decade for about five years. It's worth it. There's a recommendation. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't bring up ti- uh, the Tiger King thing on Netflix. That's, I feel like that's what everybody's talking <laughs> okay. about. I, have, I haven't at, dove into that point, yet. I'm a little, I, I don't know if I point, want to. You and I, you and I may be the only two that have not, and I have heard <laughs> so many wild things. And, of course, it's yeah. based in Florida with Florida guy and even Oklahoma course, guy. But uh, I have heard so many hellacious things about it that I don't know that I want to go there yet. So you and I may be the only ones. We may be left standing as the only ones coming up that haven't seen Tiger King. Yeah, I I think I might be okay with that too. So let's talk some college basketball, TJ. Obviously bringing you on to relive sort of, you know, everybody right now, and we were doing the post over the last couple of weeks, you know, three years ago this date, South Carolina beat – Marquette, Duke, Baylor, just kind of running down the list. And it's obviously, like you were saying, especially with March Madness basically getting taken away from us, it's fun to relive all these great games. I know that different uh, different channels, different outlets have been replaying some of the best games from each of the rounds, which has been awesome to watch. But let's focus specifically 
on that 2017 South Carolina team. So I want to take you back because I remember, you know, the, the, the interesting thing going into that season was if you remember specifically 2016 March Madness, it was widely regarded that South Carolina was really snubbed by the committee to let in a Syracuse team. I think South Carolina finished that 2016 year with like 20 – four wins or something, which I think at that time was the most by a power five to not get in or something. Syracuse obviously held their own very well, if I remember correctly, in March Madness in 2016. But that 2017 team, you take a look at that roster, Sundarius Thornwell, uh, P.J. Dozier, Mike Coatesover was on that team, Chris Silva, Dwayne Notice. The Gamecocks, though, I thought what was really interesting about that season looking back, T.J., is we all remember the run, but leading up to that run is what I think was interesting. South Carolina actually lost back-to-back games. You lost your final game at Ole Miss uh, during the regular season. And then the SEC tournament, losing to Alabama by almost double digits, losing by nine points in the SEC tournament. The Gamecocks sort of limped into the NCAA tournament as a seven seed overall, and we're taking on Marquette, who was a 10 seed. Now, granted, you know when you think about South Carolina had not won a tournament game in, I think, over 30 years – Thinking back, TJ, for you, obviously I know you think of the gambling side of things, but do you remember what what were your thoughts specifically of this South Carolina team entering March Madness three years ago? Because I remember specifically Matt Jones, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he uh, he's a big Kentucky yes. personality, does stuff with yes. him. He basically said South Carolina was the worst seven seed in the history of the tournament, and we all see how that played out. But what were your thoughts on that South Carolina team, on Frank Martin's squad in 2017 as they – headed into the NCAA tournament? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I love reminiscing about this because I'm such a college basketball fan. And far beyond just the fun and games and the, and the lines and the underdog aspect, I do a bunch of college basketball work uh, every year in and out uh, of the game, live play-by-play and, and different programming during the NCAA tournament. And I've been uh, fortunate enough to be uh, – this would have been my 19th Final Four to have been at uh, had they played it, and I was actually at the Final Four once the Gamecocks got there and took on Gonzaga on semifinal Saturday. So I was not at either of the first two round sites with South Carolina, but it's a perfect example with what you just laid out there that it's not always that you're playing well at the very end of the season because, as it turns out, there there are two losses that you look at and just scratch your head that that, that, that team would suddenly turn it on and put together four wins including beating Duke. I mean, that's the biggest one. Mm. Yes, the, the win over Marquette, um, but the, the second-round win over Duke. And the irony was the whole political uh, bathroom bill in North Carolina got the NCAA rattled to the point that they moved the, uh, the, the first and second round out of the state of North Carolina and across the border uh, what into Greenville, right? Greenville, yep. uh, into that into that arena, and it turned into a South Carolina, you know, Gamecock home game essentially in the second half of that game with Duke, because there were two things working: proximity for South Carolina, and then the anti-Duke factor. And once they were <laughs> on the ropes and in trouble, the whole arena turned against them. So you, you, that's what I remember most uh, fondly here is, as you jogged my memory, they weren't playing well at the very end and yet turned it on. And then when they showed what they could do defensively with their length, with disruption of passing lanes, getting the shooters on the outside, Duke, Duke couldn't get open shots. It suddenly, it suddenly became, wait a minute, South Carolina may have something here with the formula they're working. And I'll, I say this so many times, and it's obvious to say it in hindsight. 
but in 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 March in particular, it is about matchups. It is about adjustments. It is about how well do you match up with that team right in front of you that you more than likely haven't seen. Uh, at least in the first couple of games, they try to keep teams away from their their familiar conference opponents. Mm-hmm. So how well do you match up size wise, style wise with that team? And then who can adjust when things start going wrong? when whatever it is that you're used to doing isn't working, who adjusts the best on the fly in that 40 minutes? And South Carolina clamped down on Duke, and they couldn't figure it out. And then they went to Madison Square Garden and clamped down on both Baylor and then a Florida team that they also had handled earlier in the year. It was just magic for Frank Martin and, and pushing the right buttons with those guys and a veteran, a veteran-laden crew, too, that had been there and had been through a lot, and they just put it together. Yeah, TJ, it's so funny looking back on that, too, because obviously March Madness, we fill out our brackets. You know, that's one of the most fun parts is filling out our brackets. I had South Carolina losing that first game. I had them losing to Marquette because, I mean, you just look at it realistically. I'm thinking to myself, okay, we haven't won a tournament game in over 30 years. I know it's right. in Greenville. You won that first, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. I was like, there's no way we beat Duke. And then that happens, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my. Now, were you – I have to ask, were you in the arena that night? I, would I was not in the arena. So I you was were not, not in the, the arena. arena. That was How home. is that possible? I know. How is that I, possible? I was still in your living. state and against Duke, and you got to at least lie at some point, blur the line later in life that you actually were there because that's, uh, I mean, that's an all timer. You're you know, not alone. I mean, the arena, <laughs> the arena probably only seated like ten thousand, and right. by the time we get to like twenty thirty. Or 2040, there will have been 100,000 Gamecock fans that were there that night. Yeah, just I was, uh, so I was I still living and working in Charlotte at the time, so unfortunately I wasn't there. But I was actually watching the game. It's funny. We had a couple people come over that night, I remember. And one of them was a good friend of mine who is a Duke fan, like a diehard Duke basketball fan. And cause it was so funny because I came in that game with such casual expectations. And, you know, like you said, as the game – kind of went on and went on and it just you you all of a sudden you got the feeling in that second half like we actually have a chance to win this thing and one of the lasting images from that game it's so funny was I, I don't know if South Carolina had a dunk or they made a three whatever they show a fan in in the stands a UNC fan holding up the South Carolina towel and like that just perfect like you were talking about the Duke haters coming out or whatever that perfectly <laughs> summed up that night like a UNC fan actively cheering for South Carolina because they were playing Duke. But that that was – Well, if I'm not mistaken, Carolina had been in the arena, right? Had they been there also in Greenville? But maybe I'm wrong about that. And and it's not going to take anything for their fans. Their fans would root for the communist Chinese against Duke. <laughs> if the communist yes. Chinese got yes. the lead on them, they would start rooting on them. So, and then you go to the Garden – uh, for the next part of that, and again, I don't know if you were there at the at the Garden. I was not there, obviously, but I've talked to a couple of people recently that were there and were in and around it. Um, one who was working with the Gators and their and their radio broadcast. Another one who was a media member who was there, and the media member that was there, who's based in New York, said, "Look, we were anticipating Villanova as the one seed and or Duke as the two seed, one or both of them here." And instead, we get a Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor, South Carolina <laughs> for the for the four teams that we get. But that's what that's the beauty of the tournament. And you got to give uh, Frank Martin and the Gamecocks a lot of credit because they put the they put the sleeper hold on Baylor, and then you just knew that Florida, which which got a stay of execution, they were replaying the game the other night 
uh, Chris, with Chris Chioza of Florida somehow mm-hmm. getting from one end of the floor to the other in about three seconds, literally two and a half to three seconds, and launching a three ball off of one foot for the win in the overtime, and he buries it at the horn. Just an incredible play. So Florida really got a stay of execution right there. Wisconsin should have sent them home and had largely outplayed them in that game and then found a way to screw it up. And then the Gators had South Carolina in front of them, and once again on that that Sunday, uh, South Carolina was just – they made shots, they defended, they got loose balls, they did everything they had to do, and then they made history and made their way to the Final Four again. Yeah, it's so funny. After that Duke win, TJ, I was going to say, honestly, going to Madison Square Garden, which unfortunately I wasn't there that one. I know I'm, I'm a bad fan. Wasn't any of the games. But um, it was funny. After that Duke game, Baylor, that one, that one's had such a different feel, at least for me personally. It felt like, okay, we should win this game. I know Baylor was a really, really good team that year. But South Carolina, that game I feel like start to finish was just domination. I mean, Carolina wins that game by 20 points. And then, like you're mentioning, the next game, you're taking on a familiar foe. You're like, okay, this is Florida. I mean, we played them before. We, you know, we played them throughout the season. No big deal. Um, actually beat them on our home floor back in, uh, back in January of that year. So, great basketball game. It's so funny, though, looking back, TJ, just like anything else, obviously, in hindsight's 2020. But I feel like you almost a little bit in the moment, you take it for granted a little bit, and then you look back and you realize – how special that run was. Because obviously you got all the way to Glendale, Arizona. You're going up against Gonzaga. And you really think, like you talk to other South Carolina fans, I'll be talking to people, I'm like, do you realize we were one game away from playing for the national championship? I mean, that's, yeah. that's literally how close South Carolina got. I mean, when you, think of, when you think of the all-time Cinderella's, if you will, through March Madness, I don't think South Carolina's the, the all-time Cinderella or anything. I, I know there's been a lot crazier runs or whatever. Like, where would you – where would you rank them, I guess, just off the top of your head in your mind as far as Cinderella runs are concerned? Would they be like your top five, top ten? Like where, where do they rank for you amongst I don't Cinderella? know. I don't know that they deserve to be ranked that high because, again, you're talking about a power six program because I consider the Big East part of it right. in college basketball. So you got a lot of advantages, and, and, yes, they had gone for a long time without having it. But in, in terms of something to prove, in terms of don't want to listen to the critics – that say that you're not good enough to be there, that South Carolina team absolutely was good enough to be there, beating the two seed and the three seed uh, to get in there. And uh, it's not the same as a mid-major making a run like George Mason, Virginia, Commonwealth. Butler was in the championship game twice. They don't have near the budget that South Carolina has for all the different things, to buy home games, to pay assistant coaches, uh, those kind of things. Don't, don't accrue NBA-caliber talent uh, to their program like so many of these programs do year in and year out. So for them to make a run, that's kind of a different category. But the trend that South Carolina was part of in that Final Four, and Gonzaga was the opponent, and they had never been to a Final Four. Now, South Carolina hadn't been there in 40 or 50 years, whatever it was back to the Frank McGuire days. Um, the, the recent trend, you know, last year in Minnesota, it's Texas Tech and Auburn who'd never been before. So when you've got teams that are there that have never been before, including the little guys, it's something special. And I, again, I got the privilege of being at that final four and doing some broadcast work with tune in uh, and being live that final four weekend on tune in out in the, in the desert. Uh, it, it was just neat. I can relay this. You jogged my memory when you were talking about a North Carolina fan cheering them on to beat Duke, North Carolina was playing the second game with Oregon in that national semifinal Saturday 
And as South Carolina got back in the game for that one stretch where they went on the scoring run, a Gamecock fans remember, I can testify they had over 75,000 people in that football stadium in Glendale, uh, Arizona, in the Phoenix Cardinal Stadium, which I now, I now believe they've changed the sponsor name. It's now State Farm Stadium. I think it was University of Phoenix Stadium. Uh, we always joked it's the UFO in the middle of the desert uh, out, in, out in Arizona. You leave. People, people have to understand that's not Phoenix. All right, so you have Phoenix, which is a metropolitan kind of city. It's got a lot of uh, hustle bustle, you know, a couple million people living right in, in the heart of Phoenix or suburban Phoenix. Glendale is not Phoenix. Glendale is like 40 minutes away, and you leave civilization, Chris, to get to Glendale. You are driving through the desert, through what looks like the aftermath in, of Planet of the Apes, uh, what, whatever, you know, like after this, some of these uh, nuclear Holocaust movies where, you know, I am legend or whatever, you, got, you just leave civilization to go out to Glendale. But anyway, in that arena, uh, in that football stadium, when South Carolina made that run, I vividly remember about a third of the stadium at one end stood up to go nuts, and that was the North Carolina fans. They were going <laughs> – North Carolina fans stood up to cheer every make or every stop during the scoring run – uh, the, the Carolinas came together because it was the two Carolina teams and it was the two teams from the Pacific Northwest, Gonzaga from Spokane, Washington, Oregon from Eugene, Oregon. So, so you basically had two regions of the country that cared about this or two small um, uh, you know, regional areas that really cared the most. That was the Carolinas and the Pacific Northwest. And it was just interesting that, that the North Carolina fans, uh, even though they may have no use for South Carolina, uh, and and uh, and the Gamecocks. Most of the time, they did on that Saturday during the comeback. It was wild to see twenty thousand of them stand up and go crazy when South Carolina was making their move. For sure. So, TJ, I want to talk about one guy specifically because you cannot talk about that run that South Carolina had without mentioning Sindarius Thornwell and the performance that he had. Uh, just going back, I mean, he had twenty nine points against Marquette, twenty four points against Duke, twenty four against Baylor. Um, also. Mm. 26 points against Florida and then 15 points against Gonzaga in a game where he was not 100%, was under the weather. It's well-documented, well-noted by uh, by Frank Martin and Gamecock fans. If you ask any Gamecock fans about that game, they mention that. But just talk about Sindarius Thornwell's game, what you remember from watching him, not just in the tournament but as a college player as a whole, but you know specifically when you look at what he did, again, over 20 points in all those games for South Carolina in the tournament, he was certainly – the catalyst, the reason they got as far as they did. What do you remember about watching him and watching his game specifically? That is program-defining stuff and stuff that we are not just talking about now, three years later, but you'll be talking about that a decade from now and probably 20 years from now, depending. about the, there, are, there are great players that have never had a 20-point game in the NCAA tournament. Let me say that again. There are a lot of great players in the college game that never get in the NCAA tournament and have a 20-point game. And as you just rattled off, Sindarius Thornwell had four of them mm. right in a row in the <laughs> same tournament. Put that in perspective, South Carolina fans. Uh, so, yes, it, it, was, it was neat to watch him. It was neat to watch them. The thing that impressed you the most um, with, with Martin's team, not just with Thornwell, is he had interchangeable parts with long, athletic, long-armed guys that could defend and can rebound. Um, and in the end, Gonzaga basically got them for two reasons, with guard play and with being able to make the key shots. I remember uh, Ryan Kelly, <laughs> who ended up being 
uh, drafted in the NBA draft after that after that Final Four as a, as a first round pick. He was tremendous that whole Final Four. Uh, he was a big key, but South Carolina was right there trading blows with him. And yeah, and Thornwell again, program defining stuff. You you can now recruit off of that. You can hold your head high going into homes and say, hey, you have a chance to be on the big stage. You have a chance to play in the NBA if you come to South Carolina. Because look at what Sindarius Thornwell was able to do uh, for those teams. So. Yeah, that's what I remember about him and, and about that run. And he, he, again, will be talked about for a long time to come for how he played in, uh, in South Carolina basketball lore. Yeah, like I was saying, TJ, it's so funny. If you ask any South Carolina fan about that Gonzaga game, they're going to tell you, oh, you know, if Sundarius was fully healthy because basically people were saying he was under the weather, whether he had the flu, whatever he had. He still had 15 points in the game, but the Gamecocks lose the game by four points. A lot of fans love to play that hypothetical. Well, if Sundarius was 100%, the Gamecocks, they, they beat Gonzaga, they play UNC. Just for fun, um, I don't love playing that hypothetical game, but just for fun, if South Carolina was able to beat Gonzaga, I guess how cool would have would have, would have a South Carolina-North Carolina final been um, <laughs> that year? Yeah, it's one of those that you rarely get. You get them sometimes in these, in the final four, uh, but not necessarily for the championship game. I remember Louisville and Kentucky played in New Orleans uh, head-to-head in a Final Four game, and that's a crazy that's a crazy story uh, if you want to hear that one real quick, where I left the arena um, after the first semifinal game. In some of my freelance radio duties, I, I worked the national show on Saturday night for Fox Sports Radio for five years and for five different uh, March runs, I would cover the NCAA tournament in the Final Four and do stuff with Fox Sports Radio. Well, I was doing the Saturday night live show starting at 10 Eastern time, so I had to get out of the arena after game one and get ready to do the radio show while game two was concluding. So I left the arena in New Orleans, Kentucky defeating Louisville, and I'm leaving with the Louisville fans. There's probably mm. 500 around me, no exaggeration, coming out of the Superdome and headed into the French Quarter. And all of a sudden, Chris, I feared for my safety <laughs> that there were thousands of Kentucky fans that descended on the group around me in red. And I thought, what are we about to have here? Are we going to have a rumble? Are we going to have brawl in the streets? No, the opposite. They wanted their tickets for Monday night's championship game. So they were coming at them on, you know, I'll give you 200, I'll give you 300 for your ticket right now for Monday night. Are you staying for Monday night? I want your ticket. I watched cash and tickets <laughs> flying around me like you can't believe uh, after that game. So the point I'm making is on your North Carolina, South Carolina, we've, we've gotten that uh, occasionally in Final Fours where it ends up being a regional one. Oklahoma and Kansas played a very famous one at Kemper Arena in 1988 where Danny Manning and, and the, the team that's known as Danny and the Miracles pulled off the upset over number one Oklahoma. Again, I, I know the story resonated some throughout the country, but how many people in New York City, how many people in Los Angeles, how many people in South Carolina cared about Oklahoma and Kansas as much as the biggest brand names but still it, it would have been a fun thing uh to have maybe seen and, and we've seen it you know again some here and there uh where teams in the same region uh end up playing each other in the championship game in particular and uh and, and watch it play out but yeah that would have that would have definitely been interesting if south carolina had found a way and 
Uh, that, of course, that North Carolina team had lost the year before on the last second three point shot at the buzzer <clears throat> by Villanova and Chris Jenkins bombing in the three. They come right back to the championship game and find a way to win the following year. So what a redemption story it turned out for those evil Tar Heels, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, <clears throat> I got a really, really good buddy of mine that's a uh, – he's a diehard Tar Heel, and he loves to remind me that if South Carolina – even if they'd have made it to the final, there's no way they would have beaten his, uh, his Tar Heels. So we, we, we love to go back and forth on that for sure. But I, I want to move off the 2017 year, TJ, and come more current day. Obviously, we know it was taken away from us, but I'm just – I'm still curious to get your thoughts, which it was such a shame when everything went down. It was during the conference tournaments, you know, right in the middle of it. I mean, I remember I was previewing the game. South Carolina was taking on Arkansas that night, and then the games were called. Um, I don't think South Carolina would have won more than a game, most likely, in the SEC tournament as they had LSU the next game. And it's funny, we had you on the show back when South Carolina yeah. won LSU, I think, back in February. and. You know, we talked about how good LSU was, and they certainly showed that. So I don't think South Carolina would have won more than one game. But assuming that happened, where were you seeing South Carolina? Were you seeing them as an NIT team most likely? Did you have them completely missing the postseason? Obviously, the NCAA tournament talk was out of the picture. But was the NIT, was that about kind of the right spot, like a four or five seed in the NIT? Is that where you saw them saw them landing? I don't, I don't know that they would have been an NIT team had they not won at least a couple of games in the SEC tournament because you had several others in the SEC that were going to be in the same boat out of that group we kept talking about, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M was also coming on at the end of the year. Remember, they beat Auburn at Auburn at the end of the year. Not all of them would have made the NCAA tournament. So more than likely, you now filter down to the next level, which is the NIT. Would two or three of them been in the mix for the NIT? And you maybe would have used the neutral floor in Nashville as the barometer. And again, we just shake our head. We'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened and who could have put it together. Um, you know, as a, as a colleague of mine who was getting ready to work the game on uh, radio said, hey, we, I was looking forward to the 8-9 game. The 8-9 game was going to be up first, Alabama and Tennessee, where the winner helps their credibility, obviously, for the tournament, and then gets a shot at Kentucky on the neutral floor, which would really help mm-hmm. their net ranking, all the metrics, if they could somehow win that. And he's like, we, we'll never know. We'll never know who won the 8-9 game. We'll never know how they would have done on the neutral floor with Kentucky and would have maybe caught them. Because, again, um, the, uh, the, the Kentucky guard uh, had, had left for personal reasons at the end of the uh, regular season. And, um, and so the, it was a question mark as to whether he was going to play. And they hadn't decided yet for that Friday game. So, for South, again, for South Carolina, uh, for Texas A&M, for Alabama, for Tennessee, uh, for Mississippi State, they were all in that mix of who's going who's gonna to pull this out, who's going to win a couple of games and maybe get themselves in the NCAA tournament as the fifth SEC team because we had pretty well concluded that Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, and probably Florida were already in. Who was the fifth team going to be? And, and we'll never know. And maybe South Carolina uh, would have pulled an upset or two, depending on the grid and the, uh, and the bracket. And then it would have been very interesting for the NIT, even if they hadn't have won the tournament. But – Again, we're, we're, it's all for naught. We'll never know how that Dayton team would have hung in the NCAA tournament. We, we'll never know if San Diego State, that got to 26-0 and this year, how they would have hung in the NCAA tournament. 
you know, playing against the bigger teams, the bigger, more powerful, more lucrative programs. But we're, we're all left just to wonder. It goes as a vacant. It goes as an incomplete, sir. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a shame. I especially think for those teams that – uh, and those athletes that, you know, some of these teams, I, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but teams that was the, fir- the program's first ever time making the NCAA tournament just for not. It's, it's, it's awful to think about. But I, right. I want to I move into this next year's team, TG. I'm not sure and how by much. The way, uh, and by the way, Ashton Hagens was the name I couldn't come up with off the top mm. of my head. And Kentucky would have been a different team in that, in that SEC tournament and even in the NCAA tournament, if he was not playing mm. again, again, we'll never know. We'll never know what those match. I mean, uh, we would have so been looking forward to, could Dayton have made a run towards the final four for this mm. weekend with Obi Toppin, who's an NBA player. You will watch Obi Toppin for the next few years play in the NBA. We'll never know how good that they, that they would have been. So we're just left to wonder. No, for sure. So I, I was saying, TJ, I'm not sure how much research you've done kind of looking ahead to next basketball season, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this South Carolina team because pretty much what you pretty much what you watched this season is what you're going to see next year. I mean, obviously this is going to lead me into my next topic, but um, with the NCAA not granting another year to the seniors for the fall oh. sports, Mike Kotsar is really the only guy this South Carolina team loses. And I know he was a big piece, but – you get everybody back. I mean, Jermaine Kuznard, A.J. Lawson, who I don't think is a guy who's going to leave early, thankfully. Jair Bolden, T.J. Moss, um, Jalen McCreary, Wilden Zavek, Alonzo Frank all down low. Keyshawn Bryant, the human highlight reel. You get Seventh Woods, the UNC transfer. He's going to be eligible. Just, you know, the, the expectation from me, and I know a lot of South Carolina fans, when you rattle those names off, and again, you've got to replace Mike Kotsar, similar to how you had to replace – Chris Silva coming into this past season for me TJ you know going into I think this is year nine of Frank Martin you know I I don't want to say it's NCAA tournament or bust but it certainly has that feeling for me when you think that this is probably going to be arguably Frank Martin's best team I mean I don't want to put any disrespect on the 2017 team's name because of what they did but do you think it's fair for myself and other South Carolina fans to have that expectation that you know, this, this with, the, with the core group of guys you have coming back, with the, with the scores you have returning, the guard play especially, that this should be an NCAA tournament team when we get to 2021 March Madness. Short answer, yes. It, I mean, with what you just laid out there, they have all the makings of that. Now, here are the factors that we don't know. I mean, look at – I'm not trying to deflect just off of South Carolina, but bear with me for just a second. Look at Wichita State, where like six guys literally have transferred off of Greg Marshall's team and gone in the transfer portal. So I don't know how much of that will will be a factor. Who else can they sign? I mean, this is a bizarre time right now Mm -hmm. where you're going to have a national signing day in a couple of weeks. I know you have an early signing day uh, in in, uh, college basketball like you've now done with college football. But who are they able to grab that hadn't committed yet? Mm-hmm. And, and now if, if this extends, if what's going on with isolation, social distancing, and the coronavirus extends into the summer where you can't go see the AAU players to recruit for next year to finalize for them, how much does that change all the dynamic on somebody's longevity, on the players that you're in on and you're trying to get, et cetera, et cetera? So those are the unknowns that we don't know. But as you just laid out on paper – these guys look like NCAA caliber for next year. Now, on the larger point about taking away the end of the season for all the winter sport athletes, but then you're saying to the spring sport uh, seniors, hey, you can come back for one more year. To me, I, I think it would have been great 
to leave it up to all of the seniors in all of the sports and all the winter sports, do you want to come back? Because so many of them across the board, obviously, aren't going to go play in the NBA or the NFL. Mm. This senior year is it for them, probably, Chris. You know this. Mm. This is the last organized, big-time, whatever it is. Even if you're talking about softball. Uh, I'm, I'm in a state where softball is humongous in terms of the high school programs and the college programs. And so it's good that their season being wiped away doesn't mean that for all these seniors who had just started playing that that's it, that that's over. Um, you know, no different than swimming or diving. I know we're digressing off of football and basketball, but it, track, all these different sports, if it's all wiped away and your senior year is over without you even getting to start and play it, I mean, come on. But in the winter sports case, you've got a lot of these different uh, athletes at the Division One level, but also at the Division Two and the Division Three level. It applies for all of them. Their careers are over with because you pulled the plug in March uh, before they could play their conference tournament or finish or their NCAA tournament or finish. And for some of those winter sports, they hadn't begun their postseason yet. So it's it's just tough to hear that as the uh, as the ruling. I think the NCAA could have made a one time exception here and could have said to everybody, "Hey." If you have existing seniors, you get that many scholarships for your high school uh, players for just this one year. That's it. And these these seniors move on, and you you know it's not like you're going to get uh, 18 scholarships for a for a 15 uh, you know whatever it is 15 scholarship usual in college basketball every year. You're just going to get it uniquely for this year. So I would have liked to have seen that done. They didn't ask me, unfortunately. They didn't ask for my opinion or do what I wanted, but I would have liked to have seen it done across the board just for the guys that are not in the NBA, um, NFL, power-driven, big-time college football and basketball. It would have been a nice gesture to say to them, hey, you can come back one more year and finish out you know, hopefully, hopefully finish out with a with another college season. And we got several months to go to figure out what does this fall look like? What does this winter look like? Yeah, I'm glad we brought this up because the first thing I want to say, TJ, I, I applaud the NCAA actually, which we rarely say we applaud the NCAA for anything. But I, I do applaud them for the, the decision they made on the spring athletes giving them another year. I, I will say, though, you know, I would have been all in favor of letting the seniors come back. I would have had no problems with that. Let the kids play. I 100% believe in that. But I, I actually believe they made, at least with basketball especially, I think they made the right decision. The only reason I say that is because, you know, like I said before, I truly do feel for the kids, especially the ones like it was their program's first ever time going to the NCAA tournament. Or, you know, a lot of these players, they've never been there. And to take that away, it's heartbreaking, you know, thinking about it from the athlete's perspective. But I also think of it in this perspective, almost thinking it from South Carolina's perspective, is that you, you know, I know that there are a lot of complications that come with that, with letting everyone come back. And to, to allow that, I guess, when most guys are going to play one to two more games in their career. Right. So, you know, it would right. been a lot different if this happened in January and we haven't even played, you know, hardly halfway through the season. But I think from like 90% of the teams, you know, I, I think most of these kids, I mean, like I said, they probably had one to two games tops left in their career anyways. So to give them a whole other year. And I mean, again, if you could have made it work, I know there are a lot of complications I've been reading up and talking about because obviously, you know, I'm a big baseball guy and that's going to be the main sport that's benefiting from the spring sports getting, you know, allowing seniors to come back, which I think is the right decision. 
But I'm also a little interested because I think there's going to be a lot of complications with it as far as like roster size and how you manage scholarships and, you know, which guys are going to want to come back and pretty much play for nothing because I think that's something they can bring back people and really give them no scholarship money. So there's certainly hurdles to overcome, and I wouldn't have minded seeing it happen in college basketball. But I'll just say it makes sense to me. Like I'm not upset about it. It makes sense because, like I said, for most of these guys – you know, they would have played one to two more career games tops, and, and that would have been it for them anyway. So, you know, I, I would have loved to see them come back, but at least I can say, TJ, the decision by the NCAA makes sense for me, which I feel like we can't say most of the time. So, I, you know, that's just kind of my take on it. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, then, you know, they're obviously hurting because this, uh, th- this event, the Final Four, the NCAA tournament, is their crown jewel. I mean, people, yeah. people have to understand, and they, they probably largely do by now, the NCAA doesn't make anything off of the college football postseason. That's not mm-hmm. their event. Those bowl games, the college football playoff, I mean, they're the sanctioning body, but that's not their right. event. The NCAA tournament is their event, and so much – revolves around the revenue that comes in from the men's basketball tournament to every other sport and every other championship that they hold. So it's a gut punch across the board for everybody, including uh, the NCAA. I mean, there, there was no good time for this to happen. Maybe the only good time would have been like in July where baseball is the only thing that's going on. Yeah. You know, the NBA, the NHL have finished. Football hasn't started. If this started up in July, it would have been kind of, oh, well, anyway. Uh, but uh, for for college basketball for March, that's the worst possible time that it could have happened. And so it's just unfortunate. But, listen, I've enjoyed reminiscing with you on the show here and talking some Final Four. In some ways, this is kind of therapeutic. I'm going to be doing some more <laughs> of this later in the week with the Three Dog Thursday podcast and the other college basketball programming. But this is this is good stuff. This is kind of like group therapy here to talk about our memories and, and – uh, something other than sitting at home and being isolated and coronavirus and those things. Yeah, TJ, it's an absolute pleasure. Hey, let everybody know where they can find you, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. Be sure to tune in. Just let everybody know where they can, uh, they can find the show at. You have done a great job of promoting it already. Again, you find it at Three Dog Thursday on Twitter, the number three, Three Dog Thursday on Twitter. Find the show wherever you get podcasts. You can find it through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, through Google Podcasts. It's on Spreaker as well. Uh, you'll see it on my social media stuff, as you mentioned. Uh, I, I work uh, for this fall with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their radio broadcast. You can follow me at Buck Sideline Guy, B-U-C, Buck Sideline Guy, doing stuff with them. But when I fool around, it's Three Dog Thursday. You can go to threedogthursday.com. Again, we fool around talking uh, underdogs in the college football, NFL, and college basketball season. So we're going to do something fun, by the way, for this week. If you're listening to us the week of the Final Four, we're going to have fun on Three Dog Thursday. Go find the podcast. I'm going to have one of my handicappers that's on a bunch. I'm going to have him. I'm going to probably give him four games, four games with different teams and say, hey, what would your line have been here in, let's say, Dayton against Kansas rematch, like their game in Maui? Or what would your line have been San Diego State against Kentucky, for example? Or Michigan State, let's say, and Gonzaga in a Final Four game. What would your line have been? And then have fun from that angle. So, again, we'll go some hypothetical on Three Dog Thursday for this week. Wherever you find podcasts, just search for Three Dog Thursday. I appreciate the promo opportunity. 
this was great. This was great to mix it up and, and reminisce about South Carolina 2017 and talk some South Carolina hoops and much more with you, Chris. Absolutely. Like you said, very therapeutic. Go sure to, be sure to go check him out, guys. TJ, always a pleasure, man. Uh, be sure to stay safe and don't let the kids drive you too crazy. All right? I know we're <laughs> holding it all together, but uh, appreciate it as always, my man. Chris, I enjoyed being on. Good luck with the Spurs Up podcast and show there for all the South Carolina fans. Everybody be safe. We will get through it. This too will pass. We will have games back at some point. Let's all just hang in there. Absolutely. So for TJ Rees, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.